A reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 1 through 2 and 15 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Word of the Lord about uh, resurrection or Easter, which I know it's Lent, we're not supposed to do that, but hey, um, it's Sunday. Um, th- there's going to be a soundtrack, and, and, and maybe the soundtrack, it's about joy. Maybe it's about like a, an old brass fanfare, dun, 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 dun. or maybe it's a gospel choir, and, and they, it's a gospel choir in your mind that's taking the victory of Jesus Christ and releasing it in song, and it just makes us want to dance with the angels. There are certain concepts that just immediately evoke a compelling response within us when we start hearing about it, and we can think of it like a soundtrack. Now, how about this word? Wisdom. What's the soundtrack that comes up? Crickets, right? Is there a soundtrack that comes up for you when you think about wisdom? I kind of think of it this way. I hear the word wisdom. Yeah, there's other words. They're immediately like compelling. I start thinking about them. Wisdom, it's kind of like, oh, we're going to talk about wisdom. Sure, of course we can talk about wisdom. I, I got time. We can, let's... Let's talk about wisdom. Do you see what I mean? It's like, it's not immediate, it doesn't pop. It's not quite as compelling for a lot of us. And do you know why? Do you know why there's not an immediately compelling soundtrack going on in our mind when we think about wisdom? It's because we're not very wise. Look at verse 15. The apostle Paul says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Okay, Emmanuel, here's what I want to show you. We need to learn as a community to walk in wisdom. And what I mean by that is we need to make it our ambition that every single step we take in life is a step that is motivated by wisdom, and it's a step that's taking us deeper into wisdom. We need to be compelled by wisdom. Wisdom needs to have a driving, urgent soundtrack in our hearts. So, Two questions. Wisdom, what is it? Or why is it important, first of all? And then what is it? And then we'll also think about a little bit, what does it look like on the ground? Okay, first of all, why is wisdom so important to the Apostle Paul? Well, look at verse 16 in that reading. Wisdom is important basically because life is short, the days are evil, and it's really super easy to waste our life on stupid. Let me tell you a story. Uh, there was this famous preacher years ago in Canada. I actually knew this preacher briefly. Um, I, I wasn't here for this actual story. I, I, I heard this secondhand. Um, but anyways, one day in Canada, he, he was set to preach for a funeral. Uh, and this funeral was for somebody who was really, really important in the city, really, really successful, huge accomplishments, like all the brass of the city was going to come out to this funeral. 
And, um, and, and the dead man's wife comes to the preacher and, and gives him a big, long list, like a, a resume, a big, long list of the man's accomplishments. He had been super rich, super influential, super successful. Everyone wanted to be like this guy who had died. And the wife wanted the preacher to tell everybody about what he had done. She wanted everybody to know about it. She gave them a list of his accomplishments. And the, uh, the preacher responded with, well, hang on, I, that's actually not really the point of a funeral sermon. That's not usually what we do. But nevertheless, she insisted upon it. And so he signed it, kind of said, okay, fine. This, the funeral starts and he gets up and he starts to read the list. And, and it took a long time because it was a long list. There was a lot there. At the end of reading the list, at the beginning of a sermon, he lifted up the sheet that he'd been reading from and at the end of reading it, he went like this in front of everybody. And he said, that's how much all of that matters now. And then he began his sermon. Now, why am I telling you that story? Here's why. We live in a world and we live in a time where we value things that very often end up proving worthless in the end. Uh, our default settings very often will place great value on things that really don't deserve it. And that is disastrously dangerous because it means that it's really easy for us to spend an enormous amount of energy on things that end up just not being valuable. It's easy to waste our lives. Time is short, says Paul. The days are evil and we really have to invest in what matters most. And the reality is that there are many things that we dream about when we're young, things that really grip our hearts when we're young, but that end up not really mattering a great deal when we're dead. And the reality is, of course, that we only have one life and a significant percentage of your life and my life is already behind us. And therefore, it is urgent that we get wisdom and that we get wisdom fast. What I'm trying to tell you is this. There needs to be a soundtrack in the back of your mind and deep within your heart when it comes to getting wisdom. And it needs to be a soundtrack with a driving beat that wakes you up and makes you urgent. Wisdom is important because life is short, the days are evil, and it is easy to waste our lives with stupid. Second question, what then is wisdom really all about? What is biblical wisdom all about? Well, take a look at verses 17 and 18. 17 says this, Therefore, do not be foolish, but rather understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's the heart of wisdom. Two, two bits to it. First of all, understand the Lord's will. And secondly, be filled with the Holy Spirit. First of all, understand the will of the Lord. Now slow down here for a second. If you grew, did, did you grow up in church land? Some of us did not grow up in church land. And if you didn't grow up in church land, we are so glad you're here. You might not need to listen for the next like two minutes. I'm talking to people who grew up in church land. If you grew up in church land, then you probably grew up hearing a lot about discerning God's will for your life. Did you? And tell me if I'm right. Discerning God's will for your life when you were growing up was primarily about you making good choices about your life so that your life went well for you in the future. 
Am I right? And for many of us, the subtext, the unspoken uh, deep message that we heard when people talked about discerning God's will for your life was something like this. The subtext was God has a plan A for your life. And it's all about uh, where you should go to college, where you should live, who you should marry, what job you should take, and how your life should unfold over the years in the future. And the idea was that if you hit all the targets, then your life is going to be great. God has a plan A, discern God's will. Now, I might be slightly overstating it, but can you identify? I say that to say this. That's not what this is about. That's not what verse 17 is about. Understanding the will of the Lord in verse 17 is way less focused on you and me and way more focused upon Jesus Christ. Okay, now, if you didn't grow up in church land, start listening again. Back up and think about Ephesians chapter one. In Ephesians chapter one, I know that was a thousand years ago, but in Ephesians chapter one, Paul talks about God's will. And, and Paul tells us that God's, God's actually told us his will. God has gone public with his plan. And his plan is this. God's will, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter one, is it's not just about your life. It gathers up your life, but it's not just about your life. It's about the grand story of everything. God's will, according to the Apostle Paul, is this. God is orchestrating the story of history so that in the end, Jesus will be displayed as the main point. The main point of the whole story of the universe is Jesus Christ. So Paul is implying that, that everything that is good and true and beautiful is going to end up being a reflection of Jesus's beauty. And, G and Paul says that in the end, Jesus is going to uh, defeat and judge and redeem all that is wicked and false and ugly in this world. And God is going to show through the course of history that Jesus Christ is the main point of both creation and redemption. He's the main point of everything. Now, that's chapter 1, verse 10. Bring that now to verse 17. Because understanding the will of the Lord is all about seeing that Jesus is the main point of everything and then applying the implications of that to your life. So, for instance, go back to the funeral story. Um, listen, there was nothing wrong with that guy's accomplishments. The tragedy was that those accomplishments appeared to be the main point of his life. But the problem is those things are not the most important thing. The most important thing, the most important question for that man, for you and for me, is this. Did he know Jesus? Was Jesus the most important thing in his life? Was Jesus redeeming all that was wicked and false and ugly in his life? And was Jesus transforming him so that he reflected Jesus's goodness and truth and beauty? Those are the crucial questions. That, those are the questions that discern God's will for that man's life. Let me say it differently. A life that is focused on Jesus as the main point will learn wisdom. A life focused on anything other than Jesus will end up being foolish. Or let me say it differently yet again. Emmanuel, what do you think is the main point of your life? Now, I mean, what do you, real, what do you act 
like the main point of your life is. I mean, I know you could you you could probably check off the right box. Like if I gave you a theological test and you you know and I say what's the main point of your life? Your career, your your relationships, or Jesus? Of course you're going to check Jesus. I know that. Okay, you're really good at tests. But but think about how you actually live. The main point of your life. Let me just say it. Obviously, it's not your career. It's not even your relationships. The main point of your life is not your resume. It's not your sexuality. The main point of your life is also not your failures, nor your sin, nor your shame, nor those painful memories that you want to forget but seem to regularly define you. All of that is important and all of that matters, but none of it is central. The main point of your life is Jesus. That is true now. That will be true in five million years. And it needs wisdom is when you see how true that is and you live your life accordingly understanding the will of your life the will of the lord for your life is about grasping the centrality of jesus christ internalizing it in your soul and then applying it moment by moment and breath by breath and let me just kind of do a a little bit of a, a side note here this is one of the ways that we can become a discerning people so right now um you know, all of us need to pay attention to our inputs. All of us are listening to podcasts. All of us are, um, are we've got our Twitter feed coming in. We were, we're reading books. There's a lot, and we're living in a moment right now where there's a lot of competing, very loud voices telling us to believe certain things, telling us to shift the way we think about a variety of subjects. And you know what I'm talking about. Any for each of us, it's a little bit different. But when you have those inputs, the question is, how do you discern what is wise and what's not wise? Well, I can't go through all, you know, in this setting, I, one can't answer all of those questions, but consider this. When you have an input, some message that's saying you need to change the way you think or you need to change the way you act. When that message comes to you, one of the things a Christian does is a Christian takes that message, could be from a Christian, could be a non-Christian, does it, in that case, it doesn't matter. And you ask the question, how does this message relate to Jesus Christ? And you want to ask that explicitly. Um, how does this message bring up a problem that only Jesus can resolve? Answer that question, you're going to see wisdom. Or how is this viewpoint asking me to trust Jesus less and be more afraid? Unveil that. That's leading you towards foolishness. Or how does this uh, viewpoint subtly, subtly tell me that I that Jesus isn't really quite enough. Um, take the inputs that you're hearing and then take them to Jesus as he presents himself in scripture. This is one of the reasons why we need to be immersed in the scriptures and then hold up the messages that we're hearing next to Jesus Christ. And as you see how they relate to him, either they'll show you that you need Jesus more or they'll challenge Jesus in some way and you wanna put those aside but somehow Jesus Christ must remain and increasingly become the main input in your life. And as you do that, we're going to grow in wisdom. Okay, understand the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord is that we would be utterly captivated with Jesus and that Jesus would be the main point of everything. Number two, wisdom is also about being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, take a look at the text because the Apostle Paul explains being filled with the Holy Spirit first by giving us uh, an image of the opposite. 
So the opposite of being filled with the Holy Spirit is being drunk with wine. Now, real quick, Paul's point is not that wine is evil. Paul's point is being drunk with wine is a great way to understand stupid and foolish. So think about being drunk with wine. When you're drunk with wine, uh, when you misuse alcohol, usually at least three things happen. You get numb to the real world. Your selfishness gets amplified and good and stupid starts looking good. Okay, so first of all, you get numb to the real world, right? You sort of check out of life. That's one of the reasons why people kind of enjoy it. Um, but when you happen, when that happens, when you kind of get distanced slightly from reality, um, it also amplifies your self-centeredness. Remember that uh, selfish desires, when they get turned up, they almost always lead us to sin because um, we center self, we decenter Jesus, and that leads us into all kinds of sin. And that happens when you're drunk. Um, and then thirdly, uh, when you're numb to reality and you're centered on self, then stupid things start sounding good, which is why the morning after is always the dawning of regret. Now, that's how foolishness always works. If you make anything other than Jesus the center of your life, you're going to act drunk. Make career the center of your life. Make approval your high aim. Even a good cause, if that becomes the center of your life, then all those things, even the good things, they'll end up numbing you to reality, amplifying your self-focus, and they will lead you to value things beyond what they deserve. That's how foolishness always works. But on the other hand, when you're filled with the spirit, all of that is reversed. When God, the Holy Spirit, is working in you, instead of being numb to the real world, you get clear-eyed about Jesus Christ. You get focused on Jesus because Jesus is the real main point of the real world. Did you notice in the gospel reading, when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and God the Father says, that's my son. Listen to him in so many words. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus and Jesus's reality and his identity is proclaimed and made clear. That's always what the Holy Spirit does when the Holy Spirit is filling you. And this is where the soundtrack of wisdom comes in. What? Yeah. Remember I said before, for a lot of us, Wisdom is not a concept that's immediately compelling. And so it's kind of like there's not a soundtrack going on. But that's just because we're not very wise. Wisdom has a soundtrack. Do you know what the soundtrack is? It's the music of worshiping Jesus. Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit makes your eyes locked on Jesus. You're clear-headed. And the result is, verse 19, we start singing. We start addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all of your heart. It's the Singing to each other about Jesus is the most natural thing to do when the Holy Spirit is making you see reality, making you see Jesus Christ. God's will is to display Jesus as the main point of everything. And when the spirit uh, fills us, he persuades our soul of the beauty of Jesus. And we just have to start singing. And we have to sing because Jesus's glory is so big that it can only fit within a song. And when the church sings about Jesus, we are proclaiming true wisdom to the world. When, when the church sings, we're saying to the world, world, it's as if we're saying, world, all of your accomplishments are amazing. They're really impressive. But we can see someone who is better still. World, 
you have done you have accomplished some remarkable things this week there's a new rover on mars actually i think there's three um there is art in the metropolitan museum super compelling all of your individual goals and dreams and accomplishments they're wonderful it's all good but says the church as we sing but without jesus christ all of it is as worthless as a dead man's resume look at jesus christ Um, there's a, on PBS right now, there's a, there's a documentary on the history of the black church and it's been wonderful to watch. Um, I haven't gotten through it all, but it, so far it's been really, really wonderful. And one of the things that, that you see that happens in the history of the black church, but it happens in every real renewal movement is that when the Holy Spirit begins to work within a people, they sing. This is one of the reasons why we're so committed to singing. There's something important about it. And if you want to be wise, learn to sing wise songs. The Holy Spirit will bring Jesus into focus through them. You'll see him more clearly. And instead of being numb to reality, which is being drunk on foolishness, you'll be sensitive and clear about the glory of Jesus. But then remember how uh, being drunk on foolishness, it amplifies our self-centeredness and leads us into sin? Well, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus leads, it, leads us out of ourselves into serving other people. Take a look at verses 19 and 21. Do you notice how we sing not just to the Lord, we do, but we also sing to each other. Did you catch that? That's the Spirit, decentering self, recentering first Jesus, but then also others. And this is one reason why we at Emmanuel, we love to sing together. We don't want to just worship alone. We want to worship together. It's one of the things that, that creates great tension in this Zoom universe that we're in is because we can only hear one voice at a time. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be gathered physically together so that we can hear each other sing. So that we can, so that you can hear someone else proclaiming the beauty of Jesus Christ in song. And so that your heart can be uh, uh, renewed and carried along on the voice of someone else's singing. We worship together in order to serve one another. The Spirit wants us to encourage each other and help each other see Jesus better. You will never become wise by yourself. You will only ever become wise with Jesus's people. Sing to each other. But then not only do we sing to each other, verse 21 says we submit to one another. Now there's Submit. There's a there's a word with a soundtrack, and it's a scary one for a lot of us. But here's the deal. Look at the motivation for our submission in verse 21. We are to submit out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Well, when the Holy Spirit fixes our eyes on Jesus, the more we look at Jesus as he presents himself in Scripture— we get to watch Jesus submit himself to the Father's will. Now, the Father's will, remember, is that Jesus is going to be the main point of everything. But the path to that glory ran through suffering. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, had to submit to the Father's plan to die upon the cross. And he submitted to that plan so that fools like me and fools perhaps like you could be redeemed. He submitted to the plan so that he could redeem all that is wicked and false and ugly within us. And here's the deal. You've got to see the beauty of Jesus's submission to the Father's plan. 
let me say it then negatively. We will never see the wisdom of God's will, and we will never see the wisdom of living all for Christ, and we will never see the foolishness of living for self until we see Jesus submitting to the Father, surrendering his life to ransom us from our drunken foolishness. But when you see the beauty of the cross, when you see all that Jesus accomplished on the cross, then you'll want to lay down your life. You'll want to lay down all of your best accomplishments at his feet and ask him, Jesus, you surrendered all for me. How can I submit to your will? I want to submit to your will. I want to reflect the beauty of your cross. Teach me how to do that well. And then you will Feel Jesus's hand lifting up your chin so that you lock eyes with Jesus Christ and he will say, I love you. Stand up and go and serve my people. And you'll be wise. And then one more thing happens. Remember how when we're drunk on foolishness, we end up looking at stupid things and thinking that they're good? Well, once again, the Spirit changes that. When the Spirit fills us with the beauty of Jesus Christ, we end up looking, and stupid things look stupid, but you know what we notice? We notice God's goodness everywhere, and it moves us to give thanks to him. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, if you want to know how wise you are, ask yourself, how deep does thanksgiving to God go in my life? Now, there are a lot of things in this world that are bad. There are a lot of things in this world that cause pain. There's a lot to lament. There's a lot that we need to change. But if that's all that you can see, or if that is the dominant thing that you see, or if you see those things and the, and the bad things of this world have entirely eclipsed the goodness of God, then the Lord today has a gift to give you. Because when the Holy Spirit fills you, he fixes your eyes on Jesus Christ, and you'll see someone who went through all the darkness that you see within this world and more. But as you see him, and as you look at Jesus Christ, you'll see that God in his goodness really has everything in his hand. And you'll realize that while you are not in control and I am not in control, nevertheless, God is in control. And he is orchestrating all things in accordance to his will so that Jesus will be the main point of everything and the main point of your life. And the more you see that, the more you will want to give thanks, even in the midst of terrible times. It is possible and important to learn how to give thanks to God, even with tears in our eyes. The Apostle Paul knew that. He wrote verse 20 from prison. Don't imagine that he was writing from some sort of cushy place. He wasn't. He was suffering as he penned that line. He knows what he's talking about. That's part of what wisdom looks like. To see the goodness of God and to give thanks for it, even in the midst of difficulty. So Emmanuel, walk in wisdom. Make it your ambition that every step you take in life will be motivated by wisdom and a step deeper into wisdom. God's will for you is that you live for Jesus Christ, utterly captivated by him. Don't be drunk on stuff that's not him. That's foolishness. It will waste your life. 
but then on the other hand, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sing the soundtrack of wisdom. Sing to the Lord. Sing to each other. Submit to one another because of your love for Jesus. And live each day giving thanks that you are in a story that culminates in Christ. And will be wise. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.